We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I'll be speaking uh, this evening about building a generous spirit, okay? Uh, let's just pray before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for who it is that you are and all that you do, Father. We just thank you literally for the fact that you are just our provider, you're our protector, you're our healer, you are our El Shaddai, God. You are just all that we could possibly need and require, Father, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would just give me the words to speak, you would anoint my words tonight, God, that your words, Father, and I just pray that you would just use me as a, as a vessel. Lord, just to touch one person or more here and just change them, Father, in just some small or large way, God. We just love you in this place. We adore you and we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, so I'm going to be talking, as I said, about building a generous spirit. And this is the third uh, part of our series on worry free finances. In the first week, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor spoke about tithing and about tithing consistently and how that will actually open up the floodgates, so to speak, for the Lord to actually uh, bless us. Then last week, Mr. Dan uh, did a fabulous job uh, of talking about the nuts and bolts and some practical tips on how to manage our finances and to budget properly. And this evening, I'm going to be speaking about building a generous spirit and developing a spirit of giving. And I'm really excited to speak about this subject because it's one which can really uh, not just change your own life, uh, but change the life of everybody that you come into contact with. It really is that big of a deal. So we're talking about building uh, a generous spirit. And so when we think about building something, we think about work, we think about effort. And if we want to build a house, we have to first of all decide that we're going to build the house. We then draw the plans to the house. Uh, We have to lay a proper foundation. And then we have to gather all of the materials together that we uh, need to put that uh, house together. And then we put forth work and effort. And then when the house is built, we decorate it with our own touches to the property and it becomes very individual to us. Now, working on our character traits and developing our actions in different areas of our lives can be approached in exactly the same way. We first have to decide that we're going to build in an aspect of our lives. Then we have to lay the correct foundation. Then we have to gather any materials that will help us to actually achieve our goal. And then when we've done that, we have to work on building those character traits. Then when those traits are in place and it becomes a way of our living then we will have our own individual ways of displaying those traits. Now, one of the most popular misconceptions about becoming a Christian is at the point of salvation, we are suddenly transformed and we become automatically tuned into the Spirit. And we are supposed to live perfect lives and make correct decisions and choices all of the time. Now, when we're saved and we become Christians, some things that happen to us at the point of salvation are things that don't happen to everybody. Some people have bondages broken and addictions removed at the point of salvation, and other people don't. 
Some people have a major transformation in their outlook on things. And again, other people don't. Now, it doesn't make one person more saved than the other. At the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes within every one of us. But whether we listen to him all the time is a completely different issue. Now, when we're saved, we're all given the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. We're given eternal life. We are given God's grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. What we often forget is that we are also given responsibility. We're given responsibility to not just be a Christian by name, but to live the life of a Christian. We're not given the responsibility to be perfect or to claim or act like we are. But we have been given the responsibility to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. Now this is a process and it requires commitment and work. It requires us to not just make a decision to become Christ-like in all we do, but to follow through on that decision. And notice I said for us to become Christ-like, not to be more Christ-like. To be Christ-like would imply and suggest that in one instant and one change, we suddenly go from where we're at right now to being like Christ. But becoming Christ-like is an ongoing process and one that will take the rest of our lives on earth. It requires daily conscious decisions and choices each and every day of our lives. And there are a thousand opportunities every day for us to act in a Christ-like fashion or not. Every time we speak with another person, every choice we make as to what to do, say, or how we act, every choice we make on what we watch, what we listen to, what we think about, what we dwell on, is a chance for us to make a Christ-like choice. Each and every one of us faces these decisions all of the time. Situations where we decide whether to act or react in the flesh or in the spirit. We all face temptations to sin daily. To become angry, judgmental, lustful, jealous, selfish, greedy, and the list goes on and on. Now, am I saying all of this to burden all of you with how hard it is to be a Christian? No, I'm not. I'm saying this to help us all to realize and remember that being a Christian requires consistent commitment and it requires work. And I'm telling you this to lighten your load, to take the pressure off, to remind you that when you're tempted to become angry when you get cut up on the highway, or to be jealous when your friend gets a pay rise, or to be selfish when the tithe bucket comes round, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It just means that you have more work to do like every other person in this room. Now, once you've made a quality decision that you're going to do the work, you will find yourself consciously thinking about the choices you're making and how you're acting. When you're in a situation and being tempted to be angry, stop and think about how you would react if you were truly being Christ-like. In a situation like that, you might ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Some people say that, you know, what would Jesus do? Now, personally, I don't do that because I find it hard trying to imagine things like Jesus driving a Toyota Camry on I-10 and getting cut up by an 18-wheeler. So instead, in moments like that, I'll ask myself, what would I do right now if I was being Christ-like? Okay, what would I do if I was being Christ-like? Now, that way, it puts the responsibility on me to hopefully make the right decision in line with my commitment to work on being Christ-like in my life. So what does this have to, with, uh, have to do with our finances, you may be asking? Well, as with every other area of our lives, our finances is an area where we should be working to consistently act in a way that is pleasing to God in our finances and everywhere else in our lives. 
God wants us to be generous. Generosity is a principle that is found throughout God's word. And whilst we might tithe consistently, and we might have the nuts and bolts down to being a good steward, without generosity, we are missing a vital part of God's plan for our finances. A generous spirit is essential to live in the way that God desires us to. Our commitment needs to be to build a generous spirit in our hearts and our minds. Now, generous is defined as willing to give and share, not petty or small in character and mind, or open-handed. And one of the definitions of spirit is the activating or essential principle influencing a person. So if we get that spirit right, and we're actually influenced by that spirit to being generous, then that's having a generous spirit. And having a generous spirit is not simply about our willingness to give away large amounts of money. A willingness to give freely of our money and resources is part of it, but being generous is really more about the spirit that we carry within us. The attitudes of our hearts and minds. And it covers every area of our lives, not just finances. It's important to financial freedom, but most importantly, it's a mark of a healthy Christian who is living according to God's word and fulfilling his will. Now, having a generous spirit isn't just about our actions. Proverbs 23, 6 through 8 says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Now, the message puts it in a slightly less harsh way. It says this, Don't accept a meal from a tightwad. Don't expect anything special. He'll be as stingy with you as he is, is, as he is with himself. He'll say, eat, drink, but won't mean a word of it. His miserly serving will turn your stomach when you realize the meal's a sham. In other words, we need to have a generous heart, not just do generous deeds. Generous actions that aren't motivated by a generous heart are not pleasing to God or to the person that we're directing the action towards. True generosity is a heart condition. This is why we need to develop a heartfelt spirit of generosity instead of just going through the motions. So why should we develop a generous spirit? Well, firstly, the Bible tells us so. 1 Timothy 6 verse 18 says, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And this is a theme that we see throughout the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, God commands his people to be generous to the less fortunate. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8 says, If there is among you a poor man of the brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 tells us the benefits of generosity. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And the message puts that last part this way. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. So you'd see the trend here. In the New Testament, Paul constantly encourages believers to be generous and reminds them how important it is that they remain so. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 tells us, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. And 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So it's obvious by how much it's spoken about in the Bible that generosity is and always has been a part of God's plan for us. In fact, the word believe is used in the Bible 408 times. The word pray is used 438 times. Love is in there 763 times. And the word give is used 1,729 times. So the word give is used twice as much in the Bible as the word love which I found quite impactful. Now, clearly, giving is important to God. And because of that, it should be important to us as well. In fact, if we're Christians walking in God's will, generosity isn't really an option. So the first reason we should develop a generous spirit is because the Bible tells us to. The second reason is that generosity is the essence of godliness. Generosity is the essence of godliness. John 3.16 Many of us know this scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us, so he gave. And he didn't give just anything either. He gave us what was most precious to him. So if we're going to be like him, we're going to be willing to give even the things that are precious to us. We cannot be stingy and Christ-like at the same time. The two things are opposites. Now, God's generosity was not a one-time deal either. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the Lord is saying, yes, I gave my son, but that's not the end. I want to be giving you all things. So God's attitude toward us is not stingy or miserly. It's generous and it's open-handed. And building a generous nature is one of the biggest things that we can do to be like him. So the third reason that we need to build a generous spirit is this. A generous spirit expands our world. Living with a generous spirit brings a wide range of personal benefits to our lives. Now this shouldn't be our sole motivation to be generous. Our primary motivation for being generous is to be obedient to God's principles. We should be obedient to the word of God, whether the instructions actually benefit our lives or otherwise, just for the sake of obedience. But the fact is that when we live with a generous spirit, good things come into our lives. The fact is that the person that benefits most from generosity is the person who's being generous. Generosity stirs up the work of the Holy Spirit and causes God to move on our behalf. Proverbs 11.24 in the message version says... The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So if we're hoping and believing for big things in our lives, for our goals and our dreams of growth in our lives to become a reality, then we have to understand that expansion in our world comes when we live with a generous spirit. As generosity flows from our lives, more freedom, more favor, more blessings and more opportunities flow back into our lives. Now, the world of the stingy does the exact opposite. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. 
So if you're feeling frustrated and trapped by your current circumstances, it might be that you've been stingy and tight-fisted and not generous and open-handed. Most people who are tight-fisted live in a place of fear and hold on to what they actually have. And it's something that I know I've been guilty of at times in my life. And what these people don't realise is that fear actually causes their world to close in on them. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear causes us to hold tightly to what we have. And faith enables us to freely share what we have, knowing that God will honour our generosity. Now, if you have a seed and you hold on to it, you will never have more than a seed. All you will ever have is a seed. If instead you take your seed and you sow it, it will multiply and you'll get back more than what you started with. And generosity acts exactly the same way in our lives. What we give goes on to create far more than what we gave in the first place. So we now know why we should build a generous spirit. But what are the key ingredients of a generous spirit? Firstly, faith. The first thing that we need in order to build a generous spirit is faith. When faith is present in our lives, it produces generosity. Faith helps us free us from fear, which in turn means that we can act according to God's instructions without worrying about the what if. Faith is an action word. In fact, faith without action is not actually faith at all. James 2.17 tells us, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is an action word. And when we truly believe that God is our provider and that what we are told in his word is truth, we have the confidence to live our lives with a spirit of generosity and freedom. Our actions are determined by where our faith lies. If it's placed in ourselves, our our job or our circumstances, then our world will shrink. Where we need our, our faith to be is firmly rooted in God. So the second thing we need to build a generous spirit is vision. And vision is the picture that we have of a preferable future. Vision helps us to see beyond where we are right now to where we could be and where we want to be. And we all need a picture for our lives that's in line with, God, with what God created us for. God wants us to be strong and healthy in every area of our lives so that we can be a blessing to other people. A vision for our lives that's in line with God's purpose keeps our lives from being just about us. Our lives are not limited to chasing our own desires and our own interests. Instead, we live for something much greater. We place our value on things that will matter for eternity rather than things that matter only here on earth. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity. He wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. Let me read that to you again. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. So if we want to live our lives and have them make a lasting impact, then we must live with vision and an eternal perspective. So the third thing that we need for a generous spirit is joy. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, God loves a cheerful giver. So people with a generous spirit, they give joyfully 
and they give willingly. They give because they want to, not because they feel that they have to. And joy in giving is a true indicator of a generous spirit. Each and every time that we're generous, we have the opportunity to bring God's love into a person's life. And that's one of the main reasons for us to be generous with what we have. We are blessed to be a blessing. And the greatest blessing of, of giving, of sorry, of living with a generous spirit is the ability to make a difference in the lives of others. God wants to bless us. There's no question about that. But he never intended for us to keep his blessings all for ourselves. He wants us. There's nothing wrong with being well rewarded, well paid for the work that you do. There's nothing wrong with having a big bank balance. There's nothing wrong with having material things in this world. There is nothing wrong with that, providing that's not your God, providing that's not your motivation, providing that you're doing that, but over and above what it is that you have. You are giving and you are generous. Because, again, otherwise, it would be contradictory. What God's word tells us is the more we give, the more we receive. So if receiving stuff was wrong, it would be contradictory to God's word, correct? So from that perspective, what we can say categorically is there's nothing wrong with doing well in life, being financially secure, having money, as I said, having all of those things. But it should never, never be our prime motivation. Okay, those things will come to us as a reward the more that we give. Okay, so the greatest blessings, as I said, with a generous spirit is the ability to make a difference in the lives of others. He wants to bless us, and there is no question. But he doesn't want us to keep all of those things. His blessings, they flow to us so that they can flow through us. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God's provision and blessing are to enable us to lead generous lives and help others. And God wants us to be proactive in our generosity. What God's talking about there, what it says there in 2 Corinthians God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That's the overflow that, that uh, DJ was talking about when he was speaking about tithes and offerings. It's about us having so much coming into us. It's overflowing. It's beyond what it is that we need or desire. And therefore, we have the ability to take that and then sow that into other people. Isaiah 32, 8 reads this way, but a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. By a ge- but a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. Now, devises means to plan. So that suggests that generous people are always thinking up ways to bless other people. So where should we be directing our generosity? Well, the Bible indicates three specific areas where we should actually be directing that generosity. Okay, these are, number one, toward people, number two, generosity toward the poor, and number three, generosity toward God's work. So let's look briefly at being generous to other people and the poor. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Generosity goes beyond money and material things. Having generosity means that we are full of love and grace for other people. Having a generous spirit will lead us to not condemn or judge others for their mistakes or for any offence that they cause us. And quite often this is harder for us to deal with than the actual money thing. 
You know, when we talk about the tithes and offerings, sometimes that can be a challenge, you know, because of the financial situation we're in. But it all breaks down to the math. And we can actually do that and make a commitment and, and go for it and do that. But when we start talking about forgiving other people and showing grace and mercy to other people, quite often that can be a challenge to us. It can be very, very hard for us to follow through on. Now, sometimes being generous means simply loving people for where they are and not waiting for them to meet your expectations of them. That impacted on me today. I read something that went along those lines, and that really hit home to me. Loving people for where they are and not waiting for them to meet your expectations of them. So, you know, we all have expectations of the people around us. Now, do we love them unconditionally? If we do, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter. Okay, sometimes being generous means simply loving people for where they are and not waiting for them to meet your expectations of them. Now, the message says in Luke six thirty-seven to 38, and I think this is great. It says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people you'll find that life a lot easier. Give away your life, you'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. That's Luke 6, 37 to 38. So the way we treat others determines how we in turn are treated. We reap what we sow. Now here are a few ways that we can be generous toward people. With our forgiveness, with our love, with our words, with our attitude. We can be generous with our patience, with our time, and with our affection. Being generous toward other people starts with understanding how generous God has been toward us. When we remember the forgiveness, kindness, patience, and unconditional love that he gives us, we will want to do the same for others. And when we give to others of our resources or our time, God doesn't simply want us to give. He wants us to give generously. If we want to live a life continually in God's blessings, we cannot turn a blind eye to those who are less fortunate than ourselves or to wait for someone else to take care of them. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Now, this can be a bit of a hot topic sometimes, but everyone's got their own opinions on as to whether or not to give money to the people who are homeless, if you're actually approached in the streets and things, as to whether or not to give them money. And the stock phrase that I am not judging anybody, I'm, making any, I'm just going to tell you my personal opinion, and it literally is that, my personal opinion. A lot of people will justify not giving to them because they're concerned that this person is going to buy, them, buy themselves alcohol or drugs with the money. And I understand that, that standpoint, I do. But my own personal opinion with that is this. If somebody comes to me and asks me for money on the street, I will give them money. If I've got money on me, I will give that to them. I won't necessarily empty my wallet, but I will give them money each and every time. And I have been asked as to why I will do that to the homeless, because they're only going to go and buy a drink with it. You know, my instruction from God, my obedience, is to give to the poor. What they do with that is their problem, is their deal, and they have to deal with that with God themselves. That's entirely, that's entirely the situation. My instruction is not to gauge whether or not I should give this person money when they ask for it. My instruction to be obedient to the Lord 
is to say, there you go, my friend. God bless you. Okay? That's in my own, as I said, that's just my personal opinion. But that, to me, that's how I sit comfortably and, and feel that I'm being, you know, obedient to the Lord. So just think of that next time, as I said, you're actually giving to, to the homeless. You tend to find two camps of people, one who will give always and one who will never give. I don't meet many people who sometimes give and sometimes don't. They will either give all the time or they will never give, whatever the reasons might be. Okay, so let's look at being generous toward God's work. This is the third area. Being generous towards God's work. As believers, the mandate that we have been given by God is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the Great Commission. That's what it is that we're supposed to do, okay? That mandate applies to us as individuals, and it applies to us corporately as a church. Every Christian has been called to make it a priority to help spread the message of the gospel. The world that we live in today needs Jesus. This world is full of pain, it's full of hopelessness, and it's full of lost people who are searching for something. The word gospel means good news, and we have it. We hold the best news possible for all those that are lost, and that news is that there is hope with Jesus Christ, or through Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than helping people find a relationship with Jesus. Nothing. Matthew six nineteen twenty tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There are so many ways that we can be generous toward kingdom work. Every single one of us has something to give to help the, hospital, to help the gospel be spread. We can give our money, but we can also give our time. Being generous with your time and serving in the church is one of the most rewarding things that you will ever do, I promise you. And that will be a testimony of anybody who serves. One of the reasons that people don't give of their time to the church is because they feel that it will make no difference, that they can't make an impact. Now that's a lie from the enemy and you mustn't listen to it. You can make more difference than you know to someone by just smiling and saying hello, by making them feel loved and welcome in our church by helping set the right environment where people feel comfortable and relaxed and where they can hear God's word and have their lives changed. Now, I'm a bit biased here because I head head up the welcome ministry at the church. And the idea behind the welcome ministry is literally that we create the atmosphere. Um, You know, we, I say to to the people in the welcome ministry that we, our ministry is, you know, the ministry that helps to make the love happen. Okay, we say life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. The welcome ministry is all about making the love happen. To create an environment, you know, it's, and again, people have said to me, well, I only, you know, I only say hello, there's nothing, no big deal about that, just standing on a door for 15 minutes and saying hello and smiling to people. Let me tell you how many people have given us feedback, and the only reason that they came back to the church the second week is because of the greeting that they actually received. And I've had people come back the third week because when they came back the second week, somebody remembered their name from the first week. Now, all of these things might sound like very, very small things, but I can tell you that these people are impacted in such a mighty way, not by the fact that you've said hello and welcome, but by the fact that because you said hello and welcome, they were sat in that seat listening to Pastor Philip preach a message which was actually aimed at them and changed their lives. And there are countless testimonies in this church because of that. 
So let me assure you, as I said, if you think that you're, you know, serving once a month on the welcome ministry is not going to make any impact, I'm telling you, 100%, you're incorrect. And come see me at the end of service, and I'll sort you out an application form. Okay, all right, so, um, as I said, God will change people's lives if we actually create the right environment. Now, when we choose to have a generous spirit toward people, the poor, and to God's work, we're being obedient to God's word. And if we're continually obedient, it positions us for blessing. The principle of generosity is one that has the power to make a huge impact on every area of our lives. Happiness and wealth don't always go together, but happiness and a generous spirit are almost inseparable. Let's say that again. Happiness and wealth don't always go together, but happiness and a generous spirit are almost inseparable. There is true joy, freedom, and fulfillment that come when we choose to live with a generous spirit. There's also a real sense of peace and contentment that can come from following God's instructions regarding our finances. Paul writes the Bible's best passage on contentment in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the message interpretation says it this way. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy whether full or hungry. Hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Isn't that wonderful? Bear in mind here that Paul was writing that from a prison cell. He had every reason to feel down and discontented, but instead he chose contentment. Now discontentment is a big issue for many of us. We can very quickly become unhappy with our life. And we end up going through life in a constant state of dissatisfaction. We can become unhappy with our car, our house, our clothes, our job, our spouse, our opportunities and everything else in our lives. Above everything, discontentment robs us of our ability to enjoy life. A lack of contentment prevents us from enjoying what it is that God has given us. The people in our lives, the resources that we actually do have and the opportunities that we face. So there's a lot of times the things that we're unhappy with now are things that we were praying for not that long ago. And we've all been guilty of that. Now there's nothing wrong with desiring growth and improvement. Paul talks about being uh, committed to pressing forward. He actually speaks to that, uh, the chapter before he speaks about contentment. So contentment does not mean sitting back and not moving forward. God intends for us to be pursuing progress and to be content both at the same time. We can choose to value everything that is in our lives right now while still having a vision of a preferable future. We spoke about vision earlier, about it being a preferable future. So we can have an idea of where it is that we want to be eventually and ideally, but that should not take away from us being content and enjoying where it is that we are right now. Let's quickly look at three things that Paul teaches us about contentment. Firstly, contentment is learned. 
Philippians 4.11, remember, says, I have learned how to be content. Now, that tells us that Paul didn't always know how to be content. He didn't used to know, but now he's learned how to do it. So it was something that he had to work on. And we can all learn how to be content. It's a learned skill that we must practice daily. Now, some personality types are more prone to being content than others, while other personality types are more prone to being discontent. But the truth is that contentment is a character issue and a spiritual discipline that we are all responsible to develop regardless of our personality. The second thing that Paul teaches us about contentment is that it gives us the ability to deal with life's ups and downs. Paul is sharing with us the secret to facing every situation. Paul understood how to be content when he didn't have all he needed or wanted, but he also knew how to exercise contentment when he had more than enough. In other words, we're to remain uh, content irrespective of whether times are good or not so good. Some people are not content, however much they have. Benjamin Franklin wrote this. He wrote, uh, content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. Content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. Now, when we learn to be content in every situation, we have the knowledge and strength we need to deal successfully with the good times and the bad and keep moving forward. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. That's great advice, but it's not always easy to do. We all need to develop a good perspective on our lives, though, on a day-to-day basis. And the spirit of transparency, as I like to do when I'm up here, I'll tell you this, that this has really impacted upon me today. A lot of the information I have here is actually uh, from a book um, on which this series has been based. So I've been reading this today, and it's really impacted upon me. Is my wife still in the room, or can I get away with what I'm about to say? She's just, <laughs> yeah, she is. Oh, well, now I'm committed, I have to say it. Sometimes, sometimes I will say this to you, particularly in times of, of uh, tiredness at the end of a very long day. I am prone to a little bit of discontentment now and again. Um, and reading, having read, she's nodding the head. You're not supposed to agree with that. Um, but now having read today, as I said, and learned this, this is something which I'm definitely going to be working on personally. I think it's an area of our lives that we're all guilty of every now and again. And listen, you know, I, I just need to start remind, reminding myself where it was that I was six and a half years ago. Uh, and it's a long way from where I'm at right now. So praise God, as I said, give him all praise and glory. But it's very important for us to actually just learn that habit of contentment. So the last thing that Paul teaches us about contentment is that it doesn't come from without, it comes from within. We can't rely on external things to bring us contentment. People tend to think, I'll be content if I had such and such, but that's not true. If it were, we wouldn't see so many people with so much being as unhappy as they are. Pastor alluded to this at the weekend about a different topic, but it's the same thing. All these personalities in life, you know, the big personalities, the big sports people who are earning, you know, more money than they know what to do with are in a position, obviously, where they're not all content, they're not all happy. And obviously, uh, so, you know, by definition, things don't make you happy. Contentment doesn't come from changes in our circumstances. Contentment comes when we make changes on the inside. We find true contentment when we make the choice to be happy right where we are. Joyce Meyer, she wrote this, puts it like this. I like this. Enjoy where you are on the way to where you are going. Enjoy where you are on the way to where you are going. 
Contentment is very much a part of what it takes to experience God's best in our lives. All that we have, God gave us. And we must develop a sense of contentment and gratitude for it. So in closing, I encourage you to do what you need to have to do as regards your worry-free finances. I encourage you to tithe consistently, as Pastor Phil spoke about. I encourage you to plan and to budget, as Mr. Dan covered. And I encourage you to build a generous spirit and learn to be content whatever your circumstances. And if you do all of that, God's promise for that is this, that you will find blessing, you will find peace, and you will find joy in your life. Amen? Everyone stand for me, please, if you would. Okay, well, we made it through, and I didn't see any one person fainting. Let me apologise for the temperature in the room here. Uh, as Pastor put it last week, if it, if it gets any warmer than this, we're going to scrap every, all of our other messages and we're going to start preaching on hell. Uh, just so we can just point out just how warm it is. If you don't start behaving yourself, this is how, get used to this. Um, but we are in the process of getting it fixed, but I just want to make reference to it because I know how hot I'm feeling right now. I don't know if it's just the lights or if it's the room in general. So, Okay, so we are going to get that fixed. So it'll be nice and cool, hopefully for Sunday. If not, bring your T-shirts. Okay, all right, so before uh, we actually close up, as always, uh, we always like to give people the opportunity just to, those people that don't know Christ right now, just for them to actually make a commitment right now and just hand their lives over to Christ. It's a very, very important decision that we make. And uh, here at this church, we don't ask people to bow their heads, you know, and, and ask you to raise your hand because, as Pastor says, you know, it's very, very true. You know, if you can't declare, you know, your life for Christ in the church, you're not going to be able to make a stand for Christ outside of the church. And it's something that we're, you know, very, very excited about each and every time somebody actually gives their life to Christ. It's something that we will, you know, if you do raise your hands, you know, you are going to be uh, hearing us applaud and welcome you into the Christian family. So if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, or if there's anybody here who would like to rededicate their life to Christ, then please do raise your hand if you would do. And we'd just love to pray for you. Thank you, Gordon. We'd love to pray for you. Anybody? Okay, let's just bow our heads. Let's just all pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for everything, Father. I thank you, Lord, for this word, God, and I just thank you for every person that's present here right now, Lord. I pray that you would help each and every one of us, God, and myself included. I pray that you would just help us, Father, just to follow through on these things that we've learned over these last three weeks, God. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to make a quality decision that we tithe consistently and just a committed fashion to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the wisdom and the guidance to help us to, uh, to budget and to plan and to use all the nuts and bolts that we need, Father, just to be good stewards with what it is that you provided us with. And Father, I pray also that you would give each and every one of us just the ability to to grow and to build a generous spirit, Lord. We just want to serve you in any way that we can do. I pray, Lord, that you would just take away all of the fear regarding people's finances and the decisions that they're making regarding their finances or their time, Lord. I pray that you would just take that away and you would give each and every one of us the faith that we need, Lord, just to step out and just to serve you, just to give, Father, just on a generous basis, Lord, and just to help those that are in worse situations than we are. And finally, Father, I just pray that you would give us all the ability to develop the art of contentment, Lord, that you would just have us just remember where it is that we came from and where it is that we are right now, that irrespective of our circumstances as they are around us, God, you know, we are just here temporarily on this, fa- on this earth, Lord. And thanks to you and thanks to the sacrifice that you made, God, you know, we're in a situation now where this life is temporary and our eternal life will leave us 
completely content, full of peace and joy every single day, Father, eternally. We love you in this place, and we thank you, God, for all that you do. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for being here this evening. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.